I'm, I'm going to talk about liberty today. It just seems like it's a great day to talk about liberty, but I'm not just talking about the liberty that we received July 4th, 1776, 240 years ago, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm talking for the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus and that we can give in Christ Jesus because of the price that was paid for us and when we invite him in to do what he wants to do. All right, so let's get into it. Now, I told the first service today that I was going to flip this around and do my last two points at the beginning. But this group has a different feel than the first group did. And if I hit you with the last two points first, it will just bury us. And I believe in resurrection, so we can bury us and resurrect again. But I I don't think we should. I think we should start exactly the way that we were. And I'm going to share Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to kind of lay a foundation uh, for you today. And it says this. Paul wrote the church and he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am a citizen of the United States, and I am thankful for that. But I am more thankful for my heavenly citizenship. I am a citizen of heaven. Now, I believe that because scripture tells me that. Jesus left heaven, came to this planet, demonstrated the word of God and the life of God, died, rose on the third day, ascended to the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to move into my life. God lives in me. I'm not who I used to be. My DNA is completely different. I might still look like Brad, but I'm not the same Brad that I was before I accepted Christ. Literally, God's word says that I become a new creation. It's interesting, in the original Greek, the word new creation was a new word that they came up with. Because it was, they were so trying to explain what it means to be a Christ follower that they used kind of this hybrid word. They're like, you're of earth, but you're not really of earth. You're of heaven, but you're not just from heaven because you were already here. So they were, you're a new creation. You're, you're already an earthly person, but now you've been born in a heavenly way. You're new. Your DNA strands have changed. And because you're heaven born, you have heaven citizenship. Did you know that in John 3, 3, when Jesus said, you must be born again, another way to translate that from the Greek is, you must be born from heaven. Both of them are completely correct. And those different phrases were used different ways at different times in the New Testament. Born from above or born from heaven and born again. They were interchangeable. We think born again, we tend to be like a Nicodemus. How on earth am I going to climb back in my mom's womb? I'm a little big for that. How am I going to be born again? And we tend to look at it real short-sighted the way that he did. But that's not the way that Jesus is presenting it. He's like, you're going to have a rebirth. You're going to be born from above. You're going to be heaven-born when you accept me. And because you're heaven-born, you have a heavenly citizenship. So I'm just going to say it. You walk here with this great ambassador card, this free pass to live heaven's life on earth right now. You have diplomatic immunity. You don't have to give in to the same things that everybody else gives into. Fear, suicide, depression, anxiousness, sickness, whatever it may be that plagues people of earth, you don't have to have that in your life because you have diplomatic immunity. You have a heavenly citizenship and you're called not only to have it, but to give it away. So let's talk about liberty. Number one, Liberty is available to creation as we understand our identity. Now, I've already taken the church mask off and told you that many times over the last few months, I have said, 
I feel like we're in a holding pattern. And so I repent of that and I receive, no, we're in a pattern where God's wanting to take us deeper. I receive that. I'm also going to keep the church mask off and say, this first point that I'm sharing with you, I don't even have my mind all the way around it. And there are times that I've avoided passages, not because I'm scared of them, but because I don't feel like I can completely exegetically hermeneuticize uh, them. And how many of you don't even want me to do that anyway? So I don't feel like I've got all the hermeneutic of this figured out. I don't feel like I have all the exegetical understanding of this. But there's something here, and I'm going to share it with you and let you dig into it. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 21, Paul writing the church says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So there was some sort of suffering going on with the people at the time, and there's a glory. It was already in them, but it needed to be revealed in them. You see, we're not talking about a glory that's in the future. We're talking about a glory that we have now, but we need it revealed once we have it. Now look at this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So even creation, it has an expectancy of where are the children of God? Who are the children of God? I was talking with Dave and Tammy Cairo in first service. Their daughter's getting ready to have their first grandchild. She's due in a month, and she still will not tell them if it's a boy or a girl. And they're like, it's driving us crazy. We want to know if it's a boy or a girl. I think it's a boy, or I think it's a girl. I'm like, well, you got a 50-50 chance, right? You got a 50-50. There's an expectancy of the child to be revealed. God's word says that creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Isn't that an incredible passage? But how many you read that and you go, I don't quite get it? Okay, thank you, seven of you honest people. Thank you, I appreciate it. I don't completely get this. I get the gist of this, that what the Lord is saying is all of creation, how many know that God spoke everything into existence and everything is held together by his word? The reason that, that, the, that even the chair doesn't fall apart is because everything that's been created and that's been made by everything that God made is formed and fashioned together by his own word. It's all held together by his word and creation is waiting anxiously for God's children to be revealed. Why? So it can be liberated from the subjugation and frustration that it's been given not by its own choice. What? That tells me that someone else, perhaps the prince in power of the air, the prince of darkness, has been exercising an authority and a will and a purpose over the earth that the earth doesn't even want. And the earth, because it was created by God, and how many of you know that scripture says that the earth itself testifies that we have a maker? The visible qualities of the earth testify to the invisible God that we don't see. The earth itself is saying, wake up, children of God. Wake up to your identity. Wake up to who you are and liberate me says it groans with pains like childbirth. 
Listen, I have never had to endure that. God knew that if men had to give birth to children, that we wouldn't have made it past Adam and Eve. It had had been done, right? Ladies, can I get an amen? I mean, listen, we know. We guys will admit it. We know. I remember when when Beth was giving birth to Emma, and they're like, you know, we want you to count to, what was it, three? Count to three, and maybe it was five, you know, and I'm there, and I'm holding her hand, and she's breaking my knuckles, and and I'm like, hey, baby, could you, could you go a little bit lighter? You're kind of hurting my cuticle. And uh, I know you're giving birth and all, and you feel like you're dying, but please, my pinky is really getting swollen, right? And we're holding hands, and I'm like, all right, you ready? Okay, we got another push. Here we go. One, two, three. And I just wanted this to move quicker, so I just kept counting. Four, five, six, seven, eight. And Beth looked at me. She's like, stop counting. <laughs> right? Like, babe, just trying to be an encouragement. Just... You all don't even know what I deal with. It's rough sometimes. It's rough. There is a pain in childbirth. And the earth itself is groaning. I mean, think about it. Like I said, I don't have full understanding of it, but the earth is groaning, going, children of God, walk in your identity. Walk in your identity. Be who you already are. Have revelation. Like it says, the glory that will be revealed. You have the glory, but God, give us revelation of that. Do you realize if we could get this, we could walk on water? If we could get this, we no longer would be intimidated about raising the dead. Because we would look at that person and go, all that means is that their spirit's outside their body. Let's just tell the spirit to jump back in. I mean, we wouldn't be flipped out the way that we are. Things that seem impossible would be completely probable walking in the glory of the Lord. Think about it. When the sons and daughters of God walk in the fullness of their identity, authority, and glory, it brings liberty even to the earth. I'm going to say this. This isn't where I become tree hugger, okay? You all know me well enough to know I'm not tree hugger pastor. But I will say, God loves this creation. He he puts some creativity into it. How many of you have ever driven across Kansas, heading toward Colorado, And isn't that just a delight, driving through Kansas? And you get through Kansas, and you thank the Lord, and you promise to never go through it again. How many know what I'm talking about, right? You smell Jayhawks when you're driving through there. It's weird, but you're driving through Kansas, and you're getting close to Colorado. You're on the east side of Colorado, and you're heading west. And when you see the mountains, and they look a little bit purple from the distance. How many of you have experienced that? Now, I was brought up in Columbia, Missouri. All we ever did was go to the southern Missouri to go camping. So the first time that I actually saw the Rocky Mountains, I was 20 years old, and I'm driving over there with a friend, and I see these purple mountains, purple mountains, majesty, across the fruited plain. I rolled down the window, purple mountain, majesty, and I broke into, like, wow, this is it, and he's like, you are a freak, you're an absolute freak. Now, if you go to the Smokies, they're not purple mountains. Man, it's all green, it's ferns, it's trees, right? If you head up to Montana to go to to, uh, the Grand Teton National Park up there, complete different look. God is creative. He didn't just give us one type of mountain, he gave us several. He didn't just make one type of grass, but several. I mean, he loves his creation. God, if, if, if... If you helping us to walk in our identity as sons and daughters helps to liberate 
this amazing planet you made, then God, give us understanding of our identity. Amen. Number two, liberty is revealed through God's word. Psalm 119, longest psalm uh, that we have recorded. Psalm 119, verse 45. David says this, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Now, let me just we'll, uh, give you a little bit of history on Psalm 119, because some of you like this, and some of you go, I'll check out for a minute, and that's cool, I'm fine. But the history on this, Psalm 119, longest psalm in the book of Psalms, um, it's broken down into eight uh, verse stanzas, and the first letter of each stanza is with a seceding letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So the first word is al- or begins with aleph, and then the, in the second stanza begins with the word bet, and it works its way all the way down through the Hebrew alphabet. The other thing that's interesting is that every verse is about God's word. So if you've read Psalm 119, you're like, man, I feel like all he's talking about is God's word. Then it's sunk in because that's all it's talking about. It refers to it as God's word, truth, precepts, statutes, Torah, law, ordinances. It uses all of those different words, but it's always talking about God's word. And in Psalm 119, verse 45, he says, I will walk about in freedom. And then he gives us the reason why. So simple. For I have sought out your precepts. No heavy revy, but freedom comes from seeking out the precepts of God. I want you to think about this for a second. I was brought up where if you didn't pray every day, or you didn't read your Bible every day, you were like a D-plus Christian. We couldn't say you were going to hell because ultimately that's the blood of Jesus, but you were kind of a Christian loser. How many of you were brought up kind of believing you were a Christian loser? Okay, all right, so there's a few of us. So I was a Christian loser. I didn't read my Bible every day. I didn't pray every day, so I was a Christian loser. And they would give us all the formulas for prayer, all the formulas for reading our Bible, and you gotta learn it and you gotta know it. And they're also in the church I was brought up in, there was an inference that you gotta do this and not do this, do this and not do this. And so I had a tendency to look at God's word as these are the commands that I'm supposed to follow, the ones that I'm not supposed to follow, and I felt like I was kind of earning a bit of my righteousness. Now, the righteousness that I've been given isn't mine, it's Jesus's that he shared with me. And so that righteousness is all from him. But I've got a new perspective now as an adult where I go, okay, I'm walking in freedom because I'm seeking out your precepts. See, the, 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 the precepts of the Lord give me understanding to bondage that I shouldn't be blocked by or hindered by. There are so many times that God's word says, my people fail for lack of knowledge. And as we learn the precepts of God, let's just say that you're, stru- you're struggling with the spirit of fear. You don't even know that there's a spirit of fear. You know that you battle fear and you're like, why am I always so afraid? But you don't even under- have an understanding that there is a spirit of fear that tries to come and bring fear on God's people. Remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul told Timothy, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. So he wouldn't tell him that he hadn't been given something that he couldn't have been given, right? He could have been given a spirit of fear, but he said, you haven't been. Instead, you've been given power, love, and a sound mind. You know, I battled fear horribly until I recognized it wasn't natural fear. It was a spirit of fear. 
And when I recognized it was a spirit of fear from God's word, I spoke against the spirit of fear because as a follower of Christ, as a son walking in my identity, I realized that any spirit has to submit to the name of Jesus. And in his precepts, in his word, I discovered that there was a spirit of fear. Oh my goodness, I'm going to deal with that. And when I dealt with that, it doesn't hinder me anymore. Or if I feel it knock on the door, I've learned how to keep it away. Understanding his precepts give me freedom. I've been a pastor for longer than I care to mention. I can't tell you how much marriage counseling and counseling I've done over the years. And you know how many times when I do counseling, you know what it simply comes down to? They'll start talking about what's going on and I'll say, well, hey, let's look here. And I'll open up God's word and say, this is what God's word says about it. Now, I've even had people say, oh, I didn't want God's word. I just wanted some counsel. Okay, yeah, I mean, because of course, I've got more wisdom than the word of God, right? Really? Why wouldn't we want to go to God's word for counsel? And we go to God's word for counsel, we go to God's word for direction, and all of a sudden we get liberty, and I go, you know what? You could actually spend some time in God's word yourself. And as you seek him, you're going to walk in freedom. Listen, pastors are busy. I don't have time to sit down and talk about God's word with everybody. Where's me out? You understand, I need you spending time with God in his word on your own so I have more free time. You understand how this works? Okay, no. I will sit down and walk anybody through God's word if we need to to get freedom. I love that. But what I love even more is you realizing that you don't have to have a priest do it. That you've got the same word of God and you can seek out the precepts and you can walk in freedom. Think about it. God's word leads to liberty. God's word directs us toward freedom. God's word guides us toward independence. If God's word is involved, freedom will follow. Pastor Brad, I think you said the same thing four different ways. I did. Because in God's word is our liberty, our freedom, and our independence. And if we spend time in his word, we will have freedom. We will. He'll do that for us. He'll give that to us. Number three, liberty is possible anywhere because God is everywhere. We're talking about liberty today. It's available to creation as we understand our identity, so God help us to understand that. It's revealed through God's word, and it's possible anywhere because God is everywhere. So how many of you know that God is eternal and God is omnipresent. He is always eternally everywhere. Whenever we finally get somebody to Mars, when we get them there, they'll find that God was there waiting on them. It, as the galaxies are expanding, they can continue to expand because they're expanding right there in his presence. I mean, he is large. He is always omnipresent. It's amazing. So anywhere that you go, God's already there. But did you also know that not only is God already there, but God comes with you because he lives in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Because he's the Spirit, he's everywhere, so there is liberty available everywhere. And because he's moved into me, I am liberated, and I bring liberty everywhere that I go. I can bring freedom to the captives. Did you know that? You can bring freedom to the captives. One of the things that I heard back uh, about our youth from camp this week, first of all, they were the green team, and the green team won. The, yeah, come on, back-to-back -back champs. I mean, 
I, what was it, 12 years that we didn't win in a row, and now we've taken the last two years in a row, so we're going for the three-peat next year? I mean, this is fantastic stuff. We even came back with, did you know they gave us the flag? We even came back with the flag. I mean, this is a big deal. So, green team domination. We love this kind of stuff, all right? But even more than winning the games of drinking the stuff that nobody else wanted to drink, like a soda through somebody else's sock, how disgusting is that? They played a game called Cheetos, where you fed somebody Cheetos with your toes. Couldn't that just make you erp a little right there? And I'm glad that they conquered, and I'm glad that they won, and we can eat Cheetos from somebody else's toes better than other students across this district. Come on. Come on. But you know what? I also know that they laid hands on the sick, and they were healed. A young lady was battling a migraine, and they laid hands on her, and they said, in Jesus' name, that's going to break, and it broke. Is Ashton Grimshaw here, or was she here at the first service? I think I saw her here at the first service. Ashton Grim Grimshaw is quite a gymnast. Her mom told her two weeks before, uh, before camp, she said, God's going to heal you at camp. And in the right moment, our students had the privilege of laying their hands on Ashton and praying over her. She's been struggling with this ankle for a year and a half. This girl is incredibly talented, and this ankle problem has, has really hindered her gymnastics career. She received instant healing and ran the 5K the next morning. Come on. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. A broken bone can't stay broken when God's presence touches it. Number four, liberty doesn't put people in slavery again. Liberty doesn't put people in slavery again. And these last two points, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you, they were a little rough when I was studying them. And I felt like the Lord was really dealing with me about some things. And one of the benefits that I have of being a pastor is when I'm struggling with something, I get to bring you into it. And so what the Lord's dealing with me about, we all get to, aren't you thankful for that? So this is my moment where I get to share all my stuff with you, and you're going to go, just spend some time in the Word, Pastor, and get it figured out. Spend some time in the Word. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this to the church in Galatia. And by the way, Galatia was not a town. It was a region. So this letter was probably passed to a bunch of small house churches all over Galatia. It was not a city. It was a region. There were several cities located within it. So this is a letter that was reread over and over again. It also shows that this problem was happening everywhere. And it, here's what it says. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So let's pause there. Why did Jesus set his people free? For freedom. What's his hidden agenda? <laughs> There's not one, right? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then in what? In that freedom. How many of you have to stand firm in the freedom you've been given? Stand firm then in your freedom and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Burdened again. So they have been burdened before. So it was for freedom that Christ set them free. They need to stand firm so that they are not again burdened by a yoke of slavery. We talked about yokes last week. We're not talking about an egg yoke. We're not talking about a yoke that you put on an ox or a team of oxen. We're talking about a teacher's teaching. 
At the time of Christ, the time of Paul, the word yoke referred to the teaching of a rabbi. So if I am a rabbi of my day, whatever my teaching is, is my yoke. And I invite you to be my disciples and I say, carry my yoke, carry my teaching. With that in mind, what is the teaching of Christ? He paid the price for us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? I mean, the kingdom of the Christ, the teaching of Christ was pretty simple. He said, everywhere you go, preach this message. Turn this way, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. And the disciples did that everywhere they went. How many know that's a pretty wide open teaching? And that's what they went with. And after they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, or the day of Shavuot, if you prefer the Hebrew, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to spread out to Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Philippi, Thessalonica. They went everywhere, right, with the gospel. What was the gospel? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. That's what they knew to do. That's all they knew. At the time that this letter was written, most Christians didn't even have access to God's word. Did you know that? The synagogues had a copy of the Torah if they were wealthy, or they might have a scroll of Isaiah or a scroll of Ezekiel or a scroll of Jeremiah. But even the, even the synagogues didn't have all of the word. It was too expensive. And they would share it with one another. But when Christians accepted Christ, do you know what happened? They were kicked out of the synagogues. So Christians have received Jesus. They've received the message. They're telling people about the love of God and the freedom in Christ. They're healing the sick. They're driving out demons. But they don't have a lot of knowledge besides that. And so teachers would go from church to church to begin to instruct them. How many thank God for a good teacher? How many get a little nervous when you have a bad teacher? And this happened. Because you know what? Specifically, and let's just go there. I love how God's word's real. You know what the yoke of slavery was that they were trying to put on these different churches in Galatia? They were wanting the Gentile men, not the gentlemen, but the Gentiles, every man that wasn't a Jew, that had accepted Christ, they wanted them to be uh, circumcised. Now, guys, can you imagine? Somebody has said to you, you need to receive the life of Christ. You need to, and maybe you even have your blind eyes open, and God heals you, and you're like, I don't understand all this stuff, but I love Jesus. And then a teacher comes in and says, I'm glad you love him, but by the way, we got to cut off your foreskin. Excuse me? You're not going to, you're not touching my foreskin. You pervert. I mean, seriously, that's where we go. We love Jesus, and we're going to cut off the foreskin of all the Gentiles. That's where this, have you ever heard of bait and switch? You know, I came in to buy a Hyundai. I went home castrated. I don't know what happened here at all. This is crazy. Listen, I am, I am making this a big deal because this was a big deal. Can you imagine visitor Sunday? Hey, come to our church. Everybody loves our church. And then we announce the process for membership. Yeah, just let your mind go there, right? So what were people saying? No. <laughs> if this is what it is, I'm out of here. I thought I was coming to a friend's house. I didn't know I was going to an Amway meeting. <laughs> you ever been there? You want to come over for dinner? They never ask us over for dinner. 
What do you want us to bring? Oh, don't bring anything. If they tell you don't bring anything, don't go. <laughs> don't go, right? Okay? I just thought I was coming for dinner. Next thing you know, I'm multi-level marketing down to the seventh generation and building residual income for my family. Had no idea. I thought I just accepted Jesus. You know what Paul says? Look at verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, he wanted them to know that nobody else was writing this. This is, somebody else has an interjected in this letter. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. What's he saying? Either Jesus is enough or he isn't. Either Jesus is enough or he isn't. Their culture said, you've got to be circumcised. Well, Pastor Brad, why did they even go there? Well, let, I mean, you go all the way back to Abraham. When God said, I'm going to give you a son, and here's going to be a sign. I'm going to, you need to be circumcised as you enter into covenant with me. Why did he even use that in the first place? In my opinion, it's because Abraham and Sarah had never been able to have a child on their own. And God wanted to show him that he could even alter that part of his body and still fulfill the promise that he had made to him. That's my opinion. But circumcision was never the covenant. It was a sign of the covenant. So the covenant is Jesus and walking with Jesus and being accepted by Jesus. I don't want to be circumcised. I want Christ. I don't want to be whatever. We do the same thing here. We got Joseph Allen sitting back there, strapping young man, just graduated from high school, sitting next to his mama, because good young men sit next to their mama. So Micah, <laughs> never mind. Joseph's sitting here with a hat on today, and I'm glad that he is, because it makes a perfect opportunity to, to use it as an illustration. In the church that I was brought up in, if somebody would have walked in with a hat on, you would have thought they were going to hell. Take your hat off, you're in the house of God. Did you know that in the Jewish culture, if you walk in without a hat on, you're going to hell. Put your hat on, you're in the house of God. So I put a hat on in Israel, but I have to take a hat off in O'Fallon. I guess it's not about the hat at all. You know what? I just have a hard time. There's just no respect in the church. I have a hard time with a young man coming in here with a hat on and, and I'm trying to worship and all I can see is his hat. Then your eyes are in the wrong place. And if his hat is stumbling you in your worship, then honestly, you're the one that needs to have some prayer time because a hat shouldn't hinder you in worshiping God. The church is so cultural. Right now, if you want to grow a big church, you have to do the right marketing campaign. You realize we're in trouble because I'm not a hipster. My jeans aren't skinny enough. I don't hold my hands like this enough when I talk because you're supposed to stand very like this and hold your hands like this, kick that right leg out and kick the left hip just a little bit so that you can really show that you've got space between your legs because even guys have to have a little thigh space between them with your skinny jeans. And you've got to use the right words and you wear glasses whether you need them or not. And if you're going bald, forget it. I need to get plugged up up here, get a whole new rat going on, big, big hairy thing up here on my head, right? So we're, we're in trouble, right? You realize that hipster church is going to pass? 
The same way that you got to wear a suit and tie every day passes. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you have to buy khakis. Okay? Anybody else hate khakis? I, you don't have to wear khakis to be a preacher. You don't have to be... I, I, it, it's, it's not about your pants. It's not about your hat. It's about Jesus. And we've got to make it about Jesus. I'm telling you, I, I, I really believe in the word that the Lord gave that I'm doing a deeper work in your life. We've got to be comfortable that people don't look like we expect them to look like. Or maybe we want them to look like. Because it's about his presence and what he's going to do. Liberty is found in Christ. Anything else added on to him is just another form of slavery. How dare, me, how dare I look at you and say, you need Jesus and don't wear that hat in church, young man. How insane. All he needs is Jesus. All I need is Jesus. Why, when did a tie become the thing that you had to wear? And when did it become the thing that you couldn't wear? Remember a few years ago we did Suit Sunday? Remember that? All the guys had texted each other like, let's do Suit Sunday. We all walked in in suits. It was a lot of fun and weird. <laughs> and really, I mean, it was a lot of fun, but kind of different, you know? I, it's because it's not about that stuff. Here's the thought. Anything we add on to the message of Christ subtracts from the work that Jesus did. Okay? Anything that we add on to the, to the work of Christ subtracts from the work he did. Let's go to the last point, and I'll see if I can get through it. Number five. Liberty is to be used to liberate others. Let me try to give some background real quickly. Can you listen quick? Okay. Zedekiah was the king of Israel. While he was king, Babylon was expanding its territory. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And all nations around him are going down. They're all falling to the Babylonian empire, and it's Israel's turn. Israel is getting ready to go down. God speaks to Jeremiah. He was a weeping prophet. Over and over again, you read the scriptures, he's crying while he's giving the message because God used him to give hard messages, and it wore him out. And so he's a weeping prophet, and God speaks to Jeremiah. God says, go talk to Zedekiah and give him this message. So Jeremiah goes to the king, says, here's the message of the Lord. Israel's going down, but that's okay. They're going to be exiled from here for 70 years, and they're going to go to Babylon. But I'm doing a work, so don't worry about it. The people have broken the covenant, and I said if they broke the covenant, they'd be removed from the land, but I would bring them back because I'm going to use this to show them that my mercy endures. Now, Zedekiah, I love you. And I know this is tough for you watching your nation collapse, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to allow you to be taken to Babylon. You're going to meet the king of Babylon in person. You're going to have face-to-face -face meeting. He's going to listen to the words that you speak. You're going to be treated with honor, and when you die, you're going to be put on the burial fires. Now, we're like, oh, that's not so good. It was. A way that you honored the king at that time was when they died, you put them out for everybody to see and you would burn their body so it would liberate their spirit into the afterlife, okay? Just the way that they saw it. So God was telling Zedekiah the same way that your great-grandfather and your grandfather and your father were released and honored at their death, I'm going to do the same thing for you. And Zedekiah says, okay, Lord. And he says, but here's what I need you to do. I need your people to free all the Hebrew slaves. You realize that at that time that they were, they were putting their own people into slavery. He said, free the slaves. 
Set them free. That's what I'm asking you to do. Let's pick up with what happened. Chapter 34, verses 10 through 11. So all the officials and the people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them in bondage. They agreed and they set them free. But afterward, they changed their minds and took back the slaves they had freed and enslaved them again. This is brutal. Free the slaves. Okay, yes, God will do it. You know what? We've lost our help. What am I going to do without them? Go get them. Bring them back. Now, they entered into a covenant. Now, I've taught on covenant around here enough that everybody should know what covenant is, right? You take an animal, and you cut the animal from head to sternum right down the middle, and you put it uh, one side on one side of the hill, one side on the other. You let the blood flow into the middle, and you pass through that blood. And it's the cutting of the meat. It's, a, it's a, a blood covenant. What you're basically saying is, if I break this covenant, you can cut me up like we cut this animal. God takes covenant seriously. God takes his word seriously. Look at how God responded to their decision to enslave again the Hebrews. Verses 16 to 21. This is the encouraging passage that we're going to end with today. And I say encouraging and jest. Now, you've turned, now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to, to become your slaves again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You've not obeyed me. You've not proclaimed freedom to your own people. So I now proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. He's literally saying, you're going to be cut up just like the calf was that you had walked between. I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. To the army of the king of Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. Man, that's a lot, isn't it? God makes a promise to Zedekiah. Zedekiah doesn't fulfill the word of the Lord. The very army that had pulled back was released to go back and to bring destruction upon God's people. Why? Because they re-enslaved their brothers and sisters. And that was enough for God. Now, I don't know where all this ties together. I told you I was a little bit uncomfortable with this message today, and I am. Because I'm presenting stuff to you that I'm just, I'm giving it to you to think about, pray about, Meditate on it a little bit. But is there a correlation between Galatians 5? When God says through Paul, don't you dare put a yoke of slavery on people that are believing in Jesus that Jesus doesn't put on them. In other words, don't re-enslave your brothers and sisters in the faith. Is there a correlation to Jeremiah 
when they set their people free and then they re-enslaved them and it brought the fury of God. I mean, listen, God is long-suffering and patient, but he can release his wrath when he wants to. And his wrath was released because they re-enslaved their own brothers and sisters. What, what happened to Zedekiah? He was taken captive. Scripture says that they poked out his eyes, so he never got to see King Nebuchadnezzar because and he, was, he was slaughtered. Because of it. he didn't receive the promise that God wanted him to receive because of his own disobedience. I want you to know the promises of God, some of them are conditional upon the obedience of God's people. And we, we like to think that every promise is for all of us, whether we follow after God or not. But the reality is, some of them are very much conditional. If you will do this, then I will do that. Have you ever heard, if my people who are called by my name will humble my, themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I will. God, he, he puts it out there. If you'll do this, I'll do this. What's this saying? It's saying that God hates slavery. It's saying that God hates slavery. God hates it when we oppress our own family. Where am I going with this? I'm going to wrap up. Here's some observations that I have. Number one, God expects the liberated to give liberty to others. God had liberated Zedekiah. Listen, you're going to be taken there, but you're going to die on your own, and you're going to be honored. That's liberty for a nation that's falling. But he refused it himself. Number two, God's desire to liberate the oppressed doesn't change because our circumstances are difficult. God knew when he called his people to liberate their slaves, he knew what Jerusalem was going through. Be quite honest with you, he didn't care. You give liberty regardless of your circumstances. You give liberty regardless of your resources. Faith Chapel's called to liberate people whether we have enough money or not. Whether we have a big enough house or not, whether we have all the wisdom or not, we are called to free the captives. And number three, God's call to liberate those in slavery must be obeyed. So here's where I'm ending with. I have a feeling that the early church was a little bit of a mess. Because you have people walking in the mandate of God with the authority of God without complete understanding of all the scriptures, because to be quite honest, they weren't even all written yet. They were still being written and sent to the church. And then you have false teachers coming in. Circumcise them, don't circumcise Oh, we need to be Gnostics. Everything's spiritual anyway. And all these heresies were attacking the church. But through every heresy, through every attack, through every martyr, the light of the gospel of Christ continued to go forth from generation to generation. And here we are today. And I say, are we liberating the captives? What if everybody's got their hat on? What if nobody's in khakis? What if everybody's tattooed up? It, it's, it's cultural. That's going to change too. We're in a season where you got to have one. There will be the day where you don't. Because all that stuff comes and goes. How many remember when bow ties were in? And how many remember when they went out? How many remember when they came back in? And then they went out. And now they're back in. It's so fun because people, man, I am looking snazzy in a bow tie. Some of you are thinking, you look like a dork. Because I threw those away 15 years ago. I mean, my, you are, you're not ahead of the times. You're 15 years behind the times. And guess what? All of you wearing your bow ties right now, they're going to go out. In about 25 years, you're going to, oh my goodness, it's back. 
but they do look kind of stupid, right? No, you won't say that. It's because it comes, style changes, it happens. Culture changes. On this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. It's not about being swayed by culture. It's about standing on the rock of Jesus. It's not about what we're wearing or what we're not wearing, what we like or what we don't like. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely you've received, freely give. That's what it's about. Liberated to liberate. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your sons and daughters. And I ask that we would have an understanding of our identity because I don't even know what it means to liberate all creation because of our sonship. But I want to see creation liberated. And if you want creation liberated, and if it's groaning as in the pains of childbirth, we want creation liberated. So give us revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. Help us to walk as the sons and daughters of the King. I pray, God, that we will have an understanding that your Spirit is always in us. So everywhere we go, there's an opportunity for liberty. There's an opportunity for freedom. I ask, God, that we wouldn't read your Word because we have to. But I ask that we'll spend time in your Word because of the freedom that we're given. That we'll walk out the precepts of God. And Lord, if we have ever added anything to the gospel of Jesus, forgive us. We don't care if they wear their hat or not. We don't care if they're, we just want them to know you. We want everybody to know you. Help us not to be influenced by what the culture and the church culture says is right and wrong. Help us just to do what you did, to love self-sacrificially, and to empower people so their lives can be changed and they can change the lives of others as well. And God, may we never re-enslave anyone. May we never re-enslave anyone. God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the liberty that they have in Christ. And I ask that they'll walk in the fullness of their freedom, that they'll never use their, their freedom to stumble someone but they will walk in the security of what it means to be a son and a daughter of Christ Jesus. God, I thank you for them. I pray you'll strengthen them today. I pray you'll keep them safe over this holiday weekend. I ask that you'll watch over them. I thank you that they're givers and you use their giving to change the world. And that's not an overstatement, it's true. I thank you that you use their giving to change the world. And I pray again that you would bless that today and that you would use it for your purpose. But God, I ask that you would bless your people, that you would make your face to shine on your people, that you would give them peace, that you would cover them with your great hand, and that you would guide and direct every step they take. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon.